Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Comedy Club Extra. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's 42 on BBC Radio 4 Extra. Welcome back. I'm Dan Mersch, and alongside me is Helen Keane. We're keeping a firm grip on our towels and knocking back the pan-galactic goggle blasters as we celebrate 42 years of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, Helen, do you think we'll still be talking about Hitchhiker's Guide in another 42 years? I mean, not us specifically, but... We people. might be, Dan. We might be, yeah. <laughs> you know, employment opportunities being right. I'm not so going to say no, Dan. We're back to the 84th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably one of those things that has a very emotional sort of hold over a lot of people who heard it when mm. they were quite young, and then maybe they sort of played it or to their children. Was yeah. you talking about with your dad, totally, or, yeah. or, or you know, you have the book at home or something. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's, it's one of those things that. Is going to stand the test of time yeah. in the same way that you know we look at sort of someone like Asimov or someone and we still read his books and that's you know quite a long time after they were written. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's such a, a beautifully drawn like often you know you're in a sitcom or you'll have a beautifully drawn house or whatever. It's a beautifully drawn galaxy mm. because yeah you have obviously the action with, with Arthur and Ford and Zayford and, and Trillian, but also you have because of Peter Jones's book, it sort of works a bit like a sketch show in that you can suddenly jump to. Hear the story of the, you know, the 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 space fleet that gets swallowed by the dog, or you can have the man trying to find where all the biros go, and you know, and you can have these little sketches, or the the was it the god that sneezes out the universe, the great green arcle scene. Wonderful, yes. uh, yeah. So it's it has this wonderfully drawn cast of. It makes you feel like you're in this hugely expansive galaxy, doesn't it? And yet they all have this. They really cohere internally, mm. don't they? You know, if you just played a tiny clip of the book, even if you distorted the voice, you would know that was the that was the Douglas Adams universe. I think that's a genius device for for yeah. radio. The fact that you can just literally go anywhere in the universe with it, and yeah. it's yeah. I mean, I, that's one of my favourite things about the show. I think. Yeah. And do you have any favourite alien species in it? Are there any? Uh... I do like, as you just referenced, the the aliens who who plan an invasion and then just get the scale completely wrong. Wonderful! Isn't <laughs> I it? love that because <laughs> it just uh, it just kind of uh, yeah, it's just you something. Yeah, that would be me yeah, if, yeah. I was, if I was the head of a you know an invading alien force. We'd get everything, and then there'd be the one thing you didn't think of, and that oh. would be the thing that trips you yeah. up. Because it's interesting, the idea of, you know, life on other planets, particularly sort of post-Star Wars and at that particular point in time, the late 70s, it's sort of quite interesting having something discussing what's out there. Yeah, I think so, because that was, I mean, that's one of the really strange things, I think, that's happened over the sort of probably... It wasn't until about 20 years after Hitchhikers came out that people started going, oh, actually, look, there are planets orbiting other stars. You know, it, it's really hard to think now that that was science fiction. So it, we didn't even know. I mean, we knew there were stars out there, obviously, but we did not know for sure. I mean, so maybe you don't absolutely we haven't visited them, but, um, you know, that there are other planets out there. So it, that was completely fantastical. And, and I think it was sort of slightly looked down on within the scientific establishment. So if you said you were going to study something like that, it was a bit sort of fringe science, you know, oh yeah, aliens built the pyramids kind of thing. So I think people really, that that sort of element wasn't really included in the sort of scientific field of respectable inquiry. Whereas I think, I, I always wonder how much of a role science fiction played in actually making that more 
respectable in actually inspiring people who actually went on to do really, really good science to mm. actually study these other planets. But also that, that thing about everything, you know, people up in space are having to deal with, you know, laser battles and monsters eating them, whereas in this, they're all having to deal with the same piddling little problems we are. Exactly, <laughs> just, yes. You know, just it's millions just, of miles just, away. And, and you sort of think there would be an element of that. If we ever do go into space, it won't necessarily be this grand, wonderful, oh, every, every day a new moral dilemma yeah. like it is on Star Trek. It will just be like, oh, God, yeah. you know. They're all having to do their taxes too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or someone's got to do a really boring job and they're just yeah. regretting it and they're seeing all these amazing things out the window, but they're thinking... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's all right, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yes. even a spaceship has to have a plumber. You know, mm, like, exactly. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, okay. Sadly, we uh, we only have one more episode this evening. Um, fit to the sixth. Yes, it's time for the last episode of the first series of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And to quote the Radio Times of forty-two years ago, "Will the ultimate question to life, the universe, and everything to which the answer is forty-two be discovered? Will our heroes be able to control their newly stolen spaceship and the enormous fleet of black battle cruisers that is following them?" Will it all end happily, or in the certain death that has threatened them so persistently? Well, let's find out. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, starring Peter Jones as The Book. The history of every major galactic civilization has passed through three distinct and recognizable phases those of survival, inquiry, and sophistication, otherwise known as the how, why, and where phases. For instance, the first phase is characterized by the question, how can we eat? The second by the question, why do we eat? And the third by the question, where should we have lunch? The history of warfare is similarly subdivided though here the phases are retribution, anticipation, and diplomacy. Thus, retribution. I am going to kill you because you killed my brother. Anticipation. I'm going to kill you because I killed your brother. And diplomacy. I'm going to kill my brother and then kill you on the pretext that your brother did it. Meanwhile, the Earthman Arthur Dent, to whom all this can be of only academic interest, as his only brother was long ago nibbled to death by an akapi, is about to be plunged into a real intergalactic war. This is largely because the spaceship that he and his companions have inadvertently stolen from the restaurant at the end of the universe has now returned itself on autopilot to its rightful time and place. Its rightful time is immediately prior to a massive invasion of an entire alien galaxy, and its rightful place is at the head of a fleet of 100,000 black battlecruisers. This is why. You mean this ship we've stolen is the Admiral's flagship? That's the way it's looking. Perhaps we should just ask them if they want it back. You know, if we were reasonably polite about they it. They might just let us off with being lightly killed. Yeah, well, at least it's better than... Ooh, than uh... It isn't better than anything at all, is uh, it? No. Hey, that visi screen, it's beginning to flicker. Hey, it must be some guy wanting orders. Ah, oh, fetid photons. Well, well, now, now, just order him to go away. You, you'll just have to bluff it out, say. I'll just have to bluff it out. Yeah, now, sit down and do something. <gasps> say something. Anything. And Now, don't worry, we'll be right behind you, hiding. Ford, this is your idea, isn't it? Yeah, now sit down there and be a Star. Hey, when I'm a star, I'll hire a better ideas man. 
They justify this by claiming that as they have personally experienced what it is like to be virtually everybody else they can think of, they're in a very good position to appreciate all their worst points. This appreciation is usually military in nature and is carried out with unmitigated savagery from the gun rooms of their horribly beweaponed chameleoid death flotilla. Experience has shown that the most effective way of dealing with any Hagodengnon you may meet is to run away terribly fast. Great. Terrific. Thanks a million, Zephod. Well, hey, don't look at me. I mean... What do we do? The book says run away. Uh, how do we get the automatic pilot on our side? Box of chockies and some sweet talk? Any ideas, Marvin? If I were you, I'd be very depressed. Yes, man? I go along with Marvin. Ford? Well, I always find that the prospect of death contracts the mind wonderfully. You know, I've just thought there is a chance. What, a chance? As far as I can see, you might as well lower haystacks off the boat deck of the Lusitania. No, no, think about it. The second-in-command assumed that the Admiral Zayford and I were the same person, not because we looked similar, but because we looked completely different. Hey, y- so yes, if... right, right, I'm with you. If the second-in-command can be a shoebox, the Admiral can be anything. Well, a paraffin stove, a, a water bison, an anaconda. Oh, terrific. I'll root around for the water bison. Trillian, you see if you can find the jar the Admiral keeps his anaconda Look, in? Look, can it, Zaphod? It could quite easily be something mundane. Uh, a screwdriver, that coil of wire, the chair itself. Yeah. Hey, you know, that's a really neat chair. Could have been made for me. It's got the two headrests, Dig. What, those, those two great furry things? Yeah. Oh, they look ridiculous. Oh, it's very uncomfortable. I'd prefer something with far longer arms. But which is probably quite incapable of drinking coffee. Hey, uh... Uh, what did you say, Earthman? Did you say headrests, Zaphod? They look a lot like eyebrows to me. That chair is scratching its leg. It's just been asleep all this time. Arthur, for God's sake, get back here quick. Yes, stand up when you sit on the Admiral Primate. It's moving. Look, it's starting to evolve. Oh, wow. Eat your heart out, Galapagos eyes. Zephos, you know what that is? Let me guess. Horrible. I'm a wolf. It's a carbon copy of the ravenous bug bladder beast of Trowl, and I'm a Vogon's grandmother. The ravenous bug bladder beast of Trowl? Is it safe? Oh, yes. It's perfectly safe. It's just us who are in trouble. If that's the Admiral and he still wants his coffee, it ain't sponge fingers he's going to dunk in it. Oh, what do I do? Pick up this table by the ears? Oh, God, the whole place is coming alive! Yeah, and we're coming dead! He's ashtray! Just change the little jar full of any cotton! Just, just oh. tell it we'll let them know! Get off me, you filthy oh. sofa! Oh. God, and I'm all times furnishing with the river! Get in the escape capsules! Arthur and I'll take this one. Zaphod, you and the others take the left-hand one. Right! Press the ghost on Arthur. Safe. Oh. Oh. Hey, Ford, look. The other capsule's missing. The chute's empty. Someone else must have used that capsule. The others are trapped. Well, it's too late, Arthur. We can't help them. This capsule won't turn back. What happens if I press this button here? Don't! Fortunately for Ford Prefect and Arthur Dent, their capsule was fitted with the latest in instant space travel, the Penagilon Kangaroo Relocation Drive, by which a ship may be ejected suddenly through the fabric of the space-time continuum and come to rest far from its starting point. This is, however, an emergency device, and there is rarely time to plot where the ship will land. Meanwhile, this is what happened to Zephard, Trillian and Marvin. Oh, no, no. Oh, get him down! Ouch! Oh, dear, dear, my arms. Oh, he's got us. Oh, if 
ever I survived this. I'll get a job as Moby Dick's dentist. Liam, I'm trying to die with dignity. I'm just trying to die. No problem. Pardon? The ennui is overpowering. And this is what happened to Arthur Dent and Ford Prefect. I think we've materialised inside another spaceship. More problems. Well, we'll see. Checks. Atmosphere's okay. L let's get out and have a look. Ford? Yeah? What about the others? Arthur, you'll have to learn it's a convention in all space-travelling species that if you have to ditch someone, you know, a friend, and there's nothing you can do, you just let it be. You don't talk about them, okay? What, really? And then we get blind drunk about them later. I think there must be something terribly wrong with the universe, you know. I think there must be something terribly wrong with this ship. Yes, it looks like a mausoleum. That's it. Yes, you're right. The, the place is full of sarcophagi as far as the eye can see. Wow. What's so great about dead people? Well, I don't know. Let's have a look. Here, here. There's a plaque on this one. What does it say? Golga Frincham Ark Fleet Ship B Hold 7 Telephone Sanitizer Second Class and a serial number. Telephone Sanitizer? A dead telephone sanitizer? Best kind. Well, what's he doing here? Not a lot. No, but I mean, why? Good God. This one's a dead hairdresser. And this one here's an advertising account executive. Yes, are these really coffins? They're terribly cold. <laughs> All right! Only right there! Why isn't anyone ever pleased to see us? Um, uh, 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 Captain? Oh, yes, number one? I I've just had a sort of, um, uh, report thing from number two. Oh, dear. He was shouting something or other about having found some prisoners. Oh, well, perhaps that'll keep him happy for a bit. <laughs> He's always wanted some. Yeah. <laughs> Captain, sir. Ah, oh, hello, number two. Having a nice day? I brought you the prisoners I located in Freeze Bay 7, sir. Hello. Uh, hello. Oh, hello. Excuse me, not getting up, just having a quick bath. <laughs> well, um, gin and tonics all round, then? Uh, look in the fridge, will you, number one? Certainly, certainly, yeah. sir. Don't you want to interrogate the prisoners, sir? Here, dear one. Earth, should I want to do that? Hmm? Get information out of them, sir. They are my prisoners. Can't I just interrogate them a little bit? Oh, all right, if you must. Ask them what they want to drink. Oh, thank you, sir. No. All right, you come, you vermin. I say, steady on, number two. Oh, very good, sir. Thank you. What do you want to drink? Well, the gin and tonic sounds very nice to me, Arthur. What? Oh, yes. With ice or without? Oh, with, please. Lemon! Oh, yes, please. And do you have any of those little biscuits? You know, the cheesy ones. I'm asking the question. Uh, num number two. Number two. Sir! Push off, would you? There's a good chap. I'm trying to have a relaxing bath. Sir. You. May I remind you that you have now been in that bath for over three years? Yeah. Well, you need to relax a lot in a job like mine. What you? on earth's going on? Uh, could I actually ask you um, what your job is, in fact? Uh, your drinks. Oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't help noticing, you know, the bodies. Bodies? All those dead telephone sanitizers and account executives, you know, in, in the um, hole. We they're not. 
dead? Good Lord, no. No, they're just frozen. They're going to be revived. You really mean you've got a hole full of frozen hairdressers? Ooh, yes, millions of them. Hairdressers, tired TV producers, insurance salesmen, personnel officers. Security guards. Management consultants. Yeah, well, you name it and we've got we it. We <laughs> yes. We're going to colonise another planet. What? Well, it's yes. exciting, isn't it, eh? What, with that lot? Yeah. Oh, don't misunderstand me. We're just one of the ships in the Ark fleet. We're the B-Ark, you see. Uh, sorry, could I just ask you to, 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 to run a bit more hot water in for me? Thanks. Ah, yes. Do help yourself to more drinks, will you? Oh, thanks. What's a B-Ark? What? Oh, well, what happened, you see, was our planet was doomed. Doomed? Oh, yes. So what everyone thought was, well, let's pack the whole population in some sort of giant spaceship, you see, and go and settle on another planet. You mean a less doomed one? No, precisely, yeah. So it was decided to build three ships, three arcs in space. Uh, anyway, where's the soap? Ah, thank you. Ah, so the idea was that into the first ship, the A ship, would go all the brilliant leaders. The scientists. Yes, the great artists, you know, all the achievers. Mm. And then into the third ship, the C ship, would go all the people who did the actual work, who made things and did things. And then into the B ship... That's us. Yes, would go everyone else, the middlemen, you see. Mm. And so we were sent off first. But what was wrong with your planet? Well, it was doomed, as I said. Apparently, it was going to crash into the sun. Or was it that the moon was going to crash into us? No, no, I thought it was that the planet was more or less bound to be invaded by a gigantic swarm of 12-foot piranha bees. Oh, no, no, that's not what I was told. Just My yes. commanding officers yes. swore blind that the entire planet was in imminent danger of being eaten by an enormous mutant star goat. Oh, yes. really? Yes, he was really? just hoping that the ship he was going in would be ready in time. But they made sure that they sent all you lot off first anyway. Oh, yes. Well, everyone said, and um, very nicely, I thought. Oh, well, yes, absolutely one, yeah. charming. Yeah, that it was very important for morale to feel that they would be arriving on a planet where they could be sure of a good haircut and where the phones were clean. Oh, yes, well, I, I can see that would be very important. Mm. Can you? Uh, and uh, the, the other ships followed on after you, did they? Ah, well... It's funny you should mention that, yes, because, yes. Yeah, curiously enough, we haven't actually heard a peep out of them since we left five years ago. No. But they must be behind us somewhere. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, they were eaten by the goat. Ah, yes, the goat. Hmm. It's a funny thing, you know, now that I actually come to tell the story to someone else, I mean, <clears throat> does it strike you as odd, number one? Well, sir, uh... Huh? Ah, ah. Mm. Well, mm. I, c I can oh. see that you've oh. got a lot of things you're going yeah. to want to talk about, so thanks for the drinks, and if you could sort of drop us off at the nearest convenient ah. planet. Well, that's a little difficult to see, because our trajectory thingy was preset before we left Golga Frinchum. Mm. When are you going to reach the planet you're meant to be colonising? Oh, well, we're nearly there, I think. Yes, any second now. Well, it's probably time I got out of the bath, in fact. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know, though. Why stop just when you're enjoying it, I always know. So we're actually going to land in a minute? Well, not not, not too much land, in fact. I think, as far as I can remember, we're programmed to uh, crash on it. Crash? crash? Yes. It's all part of the plan, I think. There was a terribly good reason for it, which I can't quite remember at the moment. You're a load of useless bloody loonies! Ah, yes, that was it. That was the reason. Got it. <laughs> Pass me the loot, will you? Oh! The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has this to say about the planet of Golga Frinchum. 
It is a planet with an ancient and mysterious history, in which the most mysterious figures of all are, without doubt, those of the great circling poets of Arium. These circling poets used to live in remote mountain passes where they would lie in wait for small bands of unwary travellers, circle round them and throw rocks at them. And when the travellers cried out saying why didn't they go away and get on with writing some poems instead of pestering people with all this rock-throwing business, they would suddenly break off and sing them an incredibly long and beautiful song in which they told of how there once went forth from the city of Vasilian a party of five sage princes with four horses. The first part of the song tells how these five sage princes, who are of course brave, noble and wise, travel widely in distant lands, fight giant ogres, pursue exotic philosophies, take tea with weird gods and rescue beautiful monsters from ravening princesses before finally announcing that they have achieved enlightenment and that their wanderings are therefore accomplished. The second and much longer part tells of all their bickerings about which one of them is going to have to walk back. It was, of course, a descendant of these eccentric poets who invented the spurious tales of impending doom which enabled the people of Golgofrinchum to rid themselves of an entire useless third of their population. The other two-thirds, of course, stayed at home and lived full, rich and happy lives until they were all suddenly wiped out by a virulent disease contracted from a dirty telephone. Meanwhile, Arthur Dent, Ford Prefect and an arcload of frozen middle management men have crashed into the prehistoric dawn of a small blue-green planet circling an unregarded yellow sun at the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy. After a year or so, they convene a meeting to consider their position which is not, on the whole, good. I'd like to call this meeting to some sort of order, if that is at all possible. Careful, like Prince, sir. Uh, not now, love. Look, no, come on, please. I mean, everybody, there's some important news. We've made a discovery. Is it on the agenda? Oh, don't give me that. Well, I'm sorry, but speaking as a fully trained management consultant, I must insist on the importance of observing the committee structure. Yeah, a prehistoric yeah. planet? Address the chair. Yes. There isn't a chair, there's only a rock. Well, call it a chair. Why not call it a rock? You you obviously have no conception of modern business methods. And you have no conception of where the hell you oh, are. Look, shut up, you two. Just shut up. I want to table a motion. Boulder a motion, you thank, mean. Thank you. I think I've made that point. Now, listen. Order, order. Oh, God. Listen, I would like to call to order the 573rd meeting of the Colonization Committee of the Planet of Fiddle Woodlands. Oh, this is futile. 573 committee meetings, and you haven't even discovered fire yet. If you would care to look at the agenda sheet. Agenda rock. Oh, yes, go on back home something, will you? You will see that we are about to have a report from the hairdresser's fire development subcommittee today. That's me. Yeah, well, you know what they've done, don't you? You gave them a couple of sticks, and they've gone and developed them into a pair of bloody scissors. When you have been in marketing as long as I have, you'll know that before any new product can be developed, it has to be properly researched. Yes, yes. I mean, yes, yes, we've got to find out what people want from fire. I mean, how do they relate to it, the image? Oh, stick it... it up your nose. 
Yes, which is precisely the sort of thing we need to know. I mean, do people want fire that can be fitted nasally? Yes, and, and, and the wheel. What about this wheel thingy? Sounds terribly interesting project to me. What? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, we're having a little uh, difficulty here. Difficulty? Uh, it's yeah. the single simplest machine in the entire universe. Well, all right, Mr. Wise Guy. If you're so clever, you tell us what colour it should be. Oh, yes. mighty Zarkon. Has no one done anything? Finlon, the producer, has rescued a camera from the wreckage of the ship and is making a fascinating documentary on the indigenous cavemen of the area. Oh, yes, and they're dying out. Have you noticed that? Uh, yes, we must make a note, sir, to stop selling them but don't you yes. understand? Just since we've arrived, they've started dying out. Well, yes, uh, yes, and this comes over terribly well in the film that he's making. I gather that he wants to uh, make a documentary about you next, Captain. What? Oh, yes. oh really? I say that's all. Yeah, oh, he's nice. got a very yeah. strong angle on it. You yes. know, the burden of responsibility, the loneliness of command. Ah, ah well, well, I wouldn't overstress that angle, you know. I mean, one's never alone with a rubber duck. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if we uh, could, uh, for a moment, move on to the subject of fiscal policy. Fiscal policy? Yes. How can you have money if none of you actually produce anything? It doesn't grow on trees, well, you know. Look, if yes. you would allow me yes. to continue... Yes. continue. Yeah, since we decided a few weeks ago to adopt leaves as legal tender, we have, of course, all become immensely rich. Yes, yes. Really? Really? Yes. Yes. But um, we great. have also run into a small inflation problem on account of the high level of leaf availability, which yes. means that... I gather the current going rate has something like three major deciduous forests buying one ship's peanut. Yes, so, um, in order to obviate this problem and effectively revalue the leaf, we are about to embark on an extensive defoliation campaign and um, uh, burn down all the forests. I think that's a sensible move, don't you? That yeah. makes economic You're absolutely You're a bunch of raving nutters. Well, is it? Perhaps in order to inquire what you have been doing all this time, huh? Yes. yes you and that other interloper have been missing for months. Well, with respect, love, we have been travelling around trying to find out something about this planet. Well, that doesn't sound very productive. I mean, I thought... No, well, I have yeah, got yeah. news. I have got yeah. news for you. It doesn't matter. A pair of fetid dingo's kidneys. What you all choose to do from now on. Burn down the forest, anything. It will make a scrap of difference. Two million years you've got, and that's it. At the end of that, your race will be dead, gone, and good riddance to you. Remember that, two million years. Ah, it's time for another bath. <laughs> Pass me the sponge, somebody, will you? No, Q scores ten, you see, and it's on a triple word score, so... <laughs> I'm sorry, but I explained the rules. <laughs> no, no, look, please put down that jawbone. <laughs> All right, we'll start again, <laughs> and try to concentrate this time. <laughs> what are you doing, Arthur? Trying to teach the caveman to play Scrabble. It's uphill work. The only word they know is grunt, and they can't spell it. And would you please tell me what that is supposed to achieve? We've got to encourage them to evolve, Ford. Can you imagine what a world is going to be like that descends from those cretins over there? We don't have to imagine. Let's face it, we already know what it's like. We've seen it. There's no escape. Did you tell them what we discovered? Slarty Bartfast's signature on the glacier? No. What's, what's the point? Why should they listen? What's it to them that this place happens to be called the Earth? And that it happens to be my original home? Yeah, but you won't even be born for nearly two million years. So they're likely to feel that it's not a lot of your business. I mean, face up to it, Arthur. Those Zebes over there are your ancestors, not these cavemen. 
Put the Scrabble away, it won't save the human race. Because mm. Mr Ugg here is not destined to be the human race. The human race is currently sitting round that rock over there making documentaries about themselves. But there must be something we can do. No, nothing. Really, nothing. Because it's all been done. I mean, listen. We've been backwards and forwards through time and ended up here. Two million years behind where we started. But that doesn't change the future because we've seen it. I mean, wise up, kid. There's nothing you can do to change it because it's already happened. And all because we arrived here with the Golga Frinchams in their B-Arc? Yes. <laughs> Poor bloody caveman. It's all been a bit of a waste of time for you, hasn't it? You've been out-evolved by a telephone sanitizer. <laughs> He's pointing, pointing at the Scrabble board. <laughs> oh, he's probably spelled library with one R again, poor bastard. No, he hasn't. Hey, no, look. It says 42. <laughs> the experiment. It's something to do with a computer program to find the ultimate question. Hey, you know what this means, don't you? What? It must have gone wrong. If the computer matrix was set up to follow the evolution of the human race through from the cavemen, and then we've arrived and caused them to die out... And actually replaced them? And then the whole thing is cocked up. So whatever it was that Marvin spotted in my brainwave patterns is in fact the wrong question. Yeah! Well, it might be right, but it's probably wrong. Oh, if only we could find out what it is. Look, if it's printed in my brainwave patterns, but I don't know how to reach it... Suppose we introduce some random element which can be shaped by that pattern. Like? Pulling out letters from the Scrabble bag. Brilliant. That's bloody brilliant. Right, right. first four letters. W-H-A-T. What? One more. Yeah, D-O, do. It's working. Hey, this is terrific. It's really coming. You get... What do you get? More here. Uh, if you mu multiply... Oh, I'm beginning to get sinking feelings about this. If you multiply uh, six by... by by nine? By nine? Is that it? That's it. Six by nine. Forty-two. I always said there was something fundamentally wrong about the universe. Mm. So what do we do now? I guess we just swallow our pride and go and join the human race. Yes. <coughs> right. <coughs> it's sad, though. Just at the moment, it's a very beautiful planet. It is. It is indeed. The rich primal greens, the river snaking off into the distance... The burning trees. And in two million years, bang, it gets destroyed by the Vogons. What a life for a young planet to look forward to. Well, better than some. I read of one planet off in the seventh dimension that got used as a ball in a game of intergalactic bar billiards. Got potted straight into a black hole, killed ten billion people. Mm, total madness. Yeah, only scored thirty points too. Where did you read that? Oh, a book. Which book was that? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, that thing. In the last episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book. Simon Jones played Arthur Dent and Geoffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect. Mark Wing Davy was Zaphod Beeblebrox, Susan Sheridan, Trillian, Stephen Moore, Marvin, Beth Porter, Marketing Girl, Jonathan Cecil, Number One and Management Consultant, David Jason, Captain and Caveman, and Aubrey Woods, Number Two, and The Hairdresser. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and John Lloyd and produced by Geoffrey Perkins with the technical assistance of Alec Hale Munro and Paul Horden and Harry Parker and Dick Mills of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. What a wonderful world The colours of the rainbow So pretty in the sky 
Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.